recording. It's true. So it's the Sipen Podcast, episode 14. Wow, 14 good episodes. Good work, us. Wow. We're doing so good on this. Still um, awkward, but getting it there. Is, yes. Well, I don't think that's ever going to change, because I'm here. I um, mean, when you're, four, when, you're 14, when you're 14, you're yeah, like awkward. For sure. This episode may go through various mood swings, and uh, there could be some Probably. audio pitch problems. Mm-hmm. So... Watch yeah. out for that. Um, you can't tell me what to do. So there, you're not my dad, or at least my real dad. <laughs> um, so with me, as usual, is Nick Nisi. Hey. And Neil Roberts. I'm just happy to be here. And Paul Shannon, who I always make go last for some reason. Howdy. It's because it's you saved the last for best or something like that. I do save the last for best. <laughs> that is absolutely accurate. At least you stop saying hi to the fans, expect them to respond back immediately. <laughs> so there's that. You know, when they when they don't after a while, you just I'm just disappointed. I'm I'm not gonna call out anymore. Yeah. It's kinda like being with my family. So this episode <laughs> is brought to you by the Clinton Transcript Service. You can order transcripts from any of Hillary Clinton's speeches spanning her entire career. Transcripts will be available just as soon as everyone else on Earth makes theirs available. That's the Clinton Transcript Service. Check it out. Um, I've made mine available. I'm, I'm mine are not. Mine are secret. Yeah, I I have some that are secret, um, but that's just because um, I. It's really just my diary. I just I just kind of vlog to myself. Mm-hmm. So I don't. Tori. Yeah, Tori. Next week, can you read from your diary? Tori, yes. that's 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 called it's, a manifesto. It's time to come clean. <laughs> it's a manifesto. <laughs> it's called a manifesto. No, it's nice. I got this cabin <laughs> out in the woods, and I just write, um, you know, my thoughts about society um, and how they're going to pay one day. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, all right, yes. you're on a watch list now. <laughs> I'm on a watch list. Um, I wish I was on a listen list where people would just be able to listen to my rantings every couple of weeks through their favorite podcast provider. Oh, wait, I am. <laughs> that and thus we joke. have the motivation for the Site Pen podcast. And that's why we're all here. Thank you for joining us on Tori's Manifesto Weekly. Um, so today we are going to talk about some releases, uh, new releases in, um, in design t- and prototyping tools, kind of a follow-up on couple weeks ago we're gonna play a game called truthy falsy we're gonna talk about a couple bugs of the week and um paul is going to tell us how the struggle is real with um es6 transpiling to es5 because things are hard um yeah it's real it's real and hard so to start off i'm going to Let's just talk about these new updates to prototyping tools. So there was, um, in, in kind of a span of a couple of days, a few big, um, I guess, announcements or changes that happened. Um, wait, what? wait, 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 Tori. You're supposed no. to, it, show notes, it said something about a blog post. You're right, it did. Go ahead. <laughs> Why don't you mention your blog post? Because you just seem just so excited because someone got picked up by JS Weekly. 
It's on the notes. I have to. It's it's practically my duty. Is it to really in JS Weekly? Yeah. I don't know how it got there. Actually, I know how it got there. A lot of hard work from people behind the scenes. Where but, is it? Um, I don't see it. Oh, it's way. It's in the. It's in. It's in the bottom section. It's below the fold. It's, so you, didn't, yeah. you didn't really make it. You made it to like the back page. I don't really ever check those ones out. I just kind of stick to the. You're to the on top page one. six of uh, JS Weekly. <laughs> oh, the summary are, pages. That's nice. You're over the, you're over the top though, so that's. The well, we're doing great hyping this up, so everyone listening is now definitely going to go check this article out now. It's true. You know, I, I appreciate you guys doing a better job than hyping up um, Ember and, and all that stuff last time we were there. But uh, yeah, I wrote about symbols and kind of provided some information on them about like what they are and how you can use them and why they're awesome. And then how to use them in like some of the transpilers like TypeScript yes. and Babel um, and like where they're at today. So yeah, it was it was a good blog post. I uh, got it out there and uh, it's worth a look. I want iterator symbols. Yeah, just bag. having that would be good. Would that make it incrementally better? Wow, that that, that just completely <laughs> died. Wow. I was, try, I was wow. trying to, trying to Never get mind. that one. That's the last time I joke on this podcast. Hey, speaking of, is it? The one thing I would like is for Paul to turn his computer so that I can see his face because it's really disturbing that I see half of it. <laughs> I don't know if it's, it's his mic placement with camera, but it's driving me insane. Maybe it's the OCD in me. It just needs to see it all. Yeah. Sorry, Tori. I rewired my mic, and it's over on this side of the table, and the cord's not long enough to get to this side of the table where my camera is. If only there was so a place planning. that you could go to buy more cords. The cord store yes. on 7th. cord. <laughs> Neil has a, a cable so long that he can actually go to his kitchen and come back. <laughs> I'm in an office. It's like in so. the old days when you had a telephone, you had to get that really long cable so you could walk around your house. Yeah. Speaking of oh, what, none Nick? You, none speaking of you younger of guys seventh, remember that. You did. Whatever. <laughs> Haven't we always had cordless? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah so Nick. quick, quick side <laughs> note diatribe here on this. Um, when we were, uh, when we were, well, so I'm coaching my son's flag football team and I was doing the coach orientation and they were talking about different ways to explain to kids, like the best way to hold a football or the best way to do this or that. And one of them said that, um, you know, telling the kid to hold it in their hand, um, like a phone up by their ear. And I was like, you know, these kids are going to be looking at it like trying to FaceTime. They're going to be looking at the yeah. football in front of their, you know, face with the ball, like talking to grandma. Um, so I said that was probably not a great analogy to use. He needs to update his analogies. Um, just, you know, one of those old time coaches. Act like you're talking to grandma on the phone. Yeah, it's not going to work anymore, buddy. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Just another tangent, I guess. Uh, Tori, you and I both recently got new cars and they're the same car i mean we we didn't get them together but no we did get them together we share a car have these yeah <laughs> uh, where i was going with this is is i thought it was cool this is the first car i bought since 2008 and uh it no longer comes with a cd player in it I oh you didn't that get was crazy mine does oh really well it has oh. a blu-ray player for oh the back okay. entertainment Tori has the better option i got the better That's one true. of course i, <laughs> I did not one. get a dvd player 
Yeah. <laughs> Although, I, I, I mean, all I did was get the cable to plug in the iPhone, so I don't need to do it, but, right. you know. Yeah, I just I thought that it was crazy because I've been just plugging in my phone into my car for years um, and haven't used a CD in so long. But I was when we were test driving it, I was just asking, I'm like, where is the CD player? And they're like, oh, they don't come with them anymore. Yeah, it's I have pretty so awesome. many Ace of Base CDs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing. So that... speaking of symbols, yeah. uh, I hear that <laughs> of signs. Uh, I hear that uh, Sketch 3.7 has some updated symbols. No, I want to talk about our car real quick. No, I don't even want to go on to that yet. Forget this whole segment. Unsegwayed. Unsegway. Back it up. Put it in reverse. (laughs) Okay, firstly, Honda Pilot. That's what we both got. Because it's a minivan without it being a minivan because there's no sliding door. That's all it is. Like, let's be honest We're still cool. We're still cool. cool. We have an SUV. It's it's really a minivan. Um, The shifter is weird. What do you think about the shifter on it? Uh, it seems normal. I don't know. I'm, okay, I'm well, not sure. What... <laughs> mine has buttons that you press. Yeah. There's no like physical thing that you move. You don't like press a button and hold down the thing, or like grab a stick and it's just a button, and you just like press like park, or you press to drive, or you toggle it to reverse, and it is so weird because you, the first time, like I seriously went in reverse. Then I went to press drive. I hit the button, but I guess I didn't hit it hard enough. So I wasn't in drive, let off the brake, and it just kept going backwards. Scared the hell out of me. Oh, um, man. I don't like I, I just have a normal stick. Oh, what? I mean, I not get, a stick. It's automatic, but it's the stick that you move. I got like a souped up version. I don't understand why. Really? It's. I wish that's what I had, to be honest. And it also has these like lane assistance things. So if you start to veer, oh, yeah. it'll keep you in the lane. Which I didn't know what button that was, but I was trying to hit cruise control and I hit this button. And all of a sudden, as I'm driving, I, I feel like the car is pulling. And then I realized, <laughs> like, it's actually pulling me back in the lane, but it was freaking me out because it just was not, like, I just did not enjoy that. So, um, yeah, the first time I get into a car that drives itself, it's probably going to be the scariest thing on earth because that was freaking me out. So, for those in their 20s, this is this is what it's like to get older. Yeah. This is what it's like. That's exactly. That's is it. We it. just, I mean, you just stop caring about cars until you have a midlife crisis. There's like a, like a high and then a low and then midlife. Oh yeah. Like I stopped, I don't, I didn't, I didn't even test drive a car. Like my wife went and did that. And then she's like, do you want to come drive and we'll do auto? I'm like, no. She's like, you don't want to see it. I'm like, not really. If you think it's good, let's do it. Couldn't care less. Um, but apparently I care a little bit. Anyway, moving on. Cause nobody cares. <sighs> I never get to I talk care. to Nick. We got we got one recently too. So, oh, there although you go. I did, I did like forty hours of research on ours though. So, yeah. What did you I, end up I getting? I put down a deposit for the Model Three. You did. Yep. Whoa. So in twenty twenty twenty, you yeah. will get something explaining that it's been delayed. <laughs> Hopefully sooner than that. Hopefully they'll let me know it's delayed before twenty twenty. <laughs> oh, they'll let you but know. Yeah, it'll April be first, incremental. So. You'll be you'll be in line until 2020, and then just as they're about to start making it, then they'll tell you that it's delayed. Nick, that's your little note in chat is just disturbing. So I'm gonna just we're gonna move on. Um, okay. But I mean, how do you know that? Can I just tell uh, everyone window. what you just what you just said? In chat, Nick <laughs> yeah. goes, "I have to go take care of an emergency." Never mind. Neighbor's <laughs> dog is bleeding all over my yard. <laughs> what? The How does it become a home. never mind? 
The neighbor was not home. It was ketchup packets. She just just pulled up. So I'm going to assume that she'll take care of it. Okay. Does does your neighbor at any point see the dog? You want to like motion out there? Yes. Like we're all very concerned now about this dog's welfare. And you're just like, ah, never mind. Eh." This woman's screaming in Nick's backyard. (laughs) No! What happened? I hope you can't the hear dogs that. learned a new trick involving <laughs> ketchup packets. Well, the dog was told to play dead. It took it a little too far. <laughs> All right, let's get into some real, real actual news stuff now. <laughs> so as I was starting to say and then got backed up and then went forward and then backed up again, just like me trying I to drive. tried to give you a good segue. Just like trying to drive my Honda Pilot. <laughs> let's, let's talk about this. So... Um, Framer JS uh, is, if you don't know what Framer is, I think we talked about it recently, but um, we um, we covered it a couple weeks ago, and it's a really cool prototyping tool. But my biggest complaint was I really hate 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 CoffeeScript, and it uses CoffeeScript, and you kind of have to use their editor, um, and it was awful and horrible for that only reason. Um, well, they released a new version, and it. It's pretty awesome. So it allows you to actually visually interact with the uh, prototype and it creates the code for you while you're doing it. Now, the code's still there on the on the left-hand side. It's kind of like a split screen. So you see the prototype inside a device like on the right. So like inside it, you see like a mock-up of a phone um, and then the black screen is you know, the, the stage basically. Um, but now if you click like new layer, so they call out kind of every object as a layer in their terminology. So if you click that, you get like a nice um, square with the little points that you can grab and adjust and drag so you can change the size. Um, and you also get this little inspector, which allows you to change things like um, the, you know, the, the color and drop shadows and all those, you know, things that you'd want to manipulate. Um, and then when you create a new state, um, which is kind of a different, if you want to animate between two things, you'd animate between the states, you just click add new state. And then when you manipulate the object, it's only manipulating that state. Um, so it's pretty cool because the code's right there on the left. So you can still interact with the code, um, which you have to do for things like hooking up events. Um, but it gives you a lot more flexibility and a lot more, um, I guess, an easier way to interact with it because before you'd have to import um, graphics or create a layer and then you'd have to size it with te- you know text you'd have to type in okay I want it 50 pixels high and then realize actually it needs to be you know 60 and it's kind of trial and error but now you can um, just kind of visually uh, mess with it and then you know you can still code it all up just like before um, I, I think it's a pretty big change that's that's really awesome um, so another Another thing happened at the same time. So the same morning, Facebook was having their uh, developer conference. And I think there's some speculation that actually Framer was bought by Facebook only because it was they had a countdown on their webpage. It was, it was due to expire at the same time Facebook's conference was starting. So there's a lot of speculation that that was their big announcement. Um, but it turns was it out fate? It, yes, it might have been. Uh, it turns <laughs> because out Because their conference not. is F8? Yes, Get it was it. fate. Uh. See, I'm not going to laugh at your joke because no one laughed at mine. That's right. <laughs> I don't care how funny your joke is. That no, was pretty good, actually. Pretty good. Um, so f- Facebook uses or Facebook last year released um, some prototyping stuff uh, called Origami. Um, so at Facebook, they use Quartz Composer to uh, 
animate and prototype their these animations um, and prototype, I guess, the user interface, I should say, um, using Quartz Composer. And if you've ever looked at Quartz Composer, it's crazy because it's all of these, um, it's kind of this visual programming thing that was supposed to be some huge thing that just never took off. Um, but, you know, you have these patches and you have wires that you you connect between them. So you say like, okay, I want a text patch. And then you connect a wire to something else, which will then manipulate um, the text. And I don't know, it's kind of crazy, but uh, Facebook built all these patches, which are these blocks that, that kind of go, um, you know, that are, they're all those blocks. Um, so they built that, but now they are releasing <clears throat> in the fall, they're going to be releasing origami studio, which is standalone. Um, but it also gives you um, a bunch of different features. It, it's still very similar to Quartz Composer. Like the UI is, you still have these patches and you, um, you, know, you still connect them to things. But I think that they've cut out a lot of stuff and eliminated things that in complications of Quartz Composer because Quartz Composer wasn't really made to do this. You know, I mean, it was sort of was, but you know, it's really using it in, in, in a, I, I guess I, I should say that uh, Origami Studio is really um, specializing in creating application in creating prototypes for applications so um you know i don't really have a whole lot of detail on it yet but um, origami studio looks pretty awesome and i can't wait to play with it um it's pretty cool other than the oddity that is the patches and linking them together with a bunch i mean it really looks like spaghetti code because literally it's a bunch of strings being connected to things um, and just so everyone knows, Nick took off to go figure out what, why there's a dog dying in his yard. <laughs> Not really sure. Hopefully he comes back. Um, so the less cool update is Sketch 3.7. And I think that this is one of those things that is a cautionary tale, in my opinion, that I hope that they learn from and I hope they fix because... Basically, Sketch allows you to do a lot of cool stuff like create a symbol. And when you create a symbol, you can reuse that symbol over and over again. And if you make a change, it propagates to all the other instances of that symbol. Uh, so you can create a button and then everywhere you use that button, it'll be the same. And then you change it and it changes everywhere. But you could also do things like override the text and say, you know, make just ignore the text. And then, you know, so you could change the text on, label on a button. Um, but the problem that they had with symbols was you couldn't put a symbol within a symbol. So if you wanted to have a, a, a common logo symbol and then you wanted to stick that into a header symbol, you couldn't do it. So you'd end up having to duplicate certain things, which was pretty annoying. Um, so they made a change that would let you do symbols within symbols and override any amount of text and images inside of a symbol, which was great. Awesome. And then um, the bad news was is that now, when you double-click to edit a symbol, it takes you to another artboard. Um, so you're no longer editing your symbol in place. You're editing it kind of in isolation. You can't see the rest of your design. Um, this is pretty huge for everyone's workflow that I've seen so far because no longer can you see what it looks like in context of your design. Um, you can't color pick the button. So if you have a button and you want to color pick um, to grab a color from the rest of your design, you can't do that anymore. Uh, your guides and alignment can't happen anymore because it's just it's just a lot of stuff like that that just suddenly they changed and didn't give anyone a heads up as to what they were doing and that it would break the workflow of a lot of people. So there's a huge backlash right now around this um, change. 
So I'm less excited about that update. Um, but <clears throat> symbols and symbols is, I guess, decent enough. Hey, Nick, what's going on, buddy? I saw you. Saw you come back. I'm back. Dog's <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, did you tell her? Did you use my joke about playing dead? <laughs> no. Sorry. Why? That was brilliant. Ugh. Nick. It's because you didn't laugh at my my fate joke. Okay, you're right. <laughs> I'm a jerk. We knew that. Um. Oh, there's one other cool thing. Um, have you guys seen this uh, Webflow uh, Flexbox Builder, Visual Flexbox Builder? I haven't yet. That's not the frog game, is it? No. Hey, Neil, just so you know, when you shake your head, no one can hear you do that. I'm, it's for your benefit. Neil just looks at me. He's like, mm-mm. mm-mm. He doesn't say anything. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. So um, Flexbox Builder is interesting because if you've ever wanted to play with Flexbox, but... You know, getting just getting started with it um, maybe seems a little um, like daunting. I guess um, you can play. They have this really cool visual interface uh, that you can go in, and it's pretty robust. Like it allows you to do tons of cool stuff. It gives you examples on different ways you can use Flexbox. Um, there's videos showing you how to use it, um, and it's just super cool to play around with and get a feeling for the types of things that you could do with Flexbox. And the cool thing is, is that it's generating CSS and HTML because it's just in the browser. Um, so Webflow is actually a um, service that allows you to create web pages, um, kind of like Squarespace or any of those, I guess. Um, so, you know, people are actually able to use this to build a web page. So it's not just a kind of prototype demo thing. Like this is a, a full-fledged product, but you can play with the Visual Flex, um, Flexbox Builder for free. Like you can just play around with it and and check it out because um, it's just part of their package that they let you play with. And, and it's pretty awesome. Um, I was really enjoying messing with that because I read about Flexbox, but never really used it in practice, which I actually will be soon uh, next week <laughs> on a <Yeah>. project. <laughs> so this was good timing because like the same day is when this came out and I was... Uh, very very excited to be able to use this and play around with it so anyway check that out yeah toy flexbox is awesome this website looks like a good resource to kind of explore yeah, yeah definitely can. especially because it's, it's really difficult to sometimes when you're designing something you know and you're using and you, you're like well i use flexbox so i need to be able to you know feel how it actually reflows well, it's hard to do in a static sense, but it also is very time consuming if you have to go in and tweak the code. And then, you know, if you mess something up because you're not really used to it, then now your thing doesn't work. You spend more time kind of debugging and figuring it out than, you know, just visually seeing it, clicking it and going, oh, okay, well, if I click to reverse the order, what does that do? You know, I don't have to go in and edit the CSS, refresh my browser to see what, what does that do? I just click the button and go, oh, that's what that does. You know, and you can see it happen. Um, so it's pretty cool to, to get a sense of what it can do. Yeah. So of these four tools that you went over, let, let's say like I'm, I'm a dev and I want to like mock out something real quick or, or do something like this. What kind of stack would you recommend or would you just recommend one tool? Like if you had to look at one tool, which would be your one? Yeah. Tori. Yeah, I'd, I, would, I would use Tori. I'd use a designer. Like I would never recommend a dev <laughs> ever get involved in designing. 
Now, um, no, we're terrible at this, but every once in a while we do our own projects and, you know, sometimes we need to put things in places. Yeah, I guess if it, it depends on what you're trying to do, right? So if you're kind of trying to figure out some layout of, of something and, and, you know, I, w- I would say like Sketch is a good resource for kind of more static um, page layout or app design where you're going to create a whole bunch of screens and you want to figure out what they all look like and, and you, you kind of have, you know, consistent symbols across them and things. Um, but if you want to say, hmm, I wonder what, you know, I want to get this animation right that when I when I click on this button or I tap on this thing, it needs to do this other thing. And I want to kind of get the feeling right and see how it feels and how it works. Framer uh, would be the number one thing for that. Um, and with, you know, with Framer, you can even pull it up right on your phone. So you're seeing the prototype on your phone as you're coding it and you can tap it, you know, and you can really interact with it. Um, and get a sense, does, you know, does this feel right or not? Um, and that, that's a huge thing that if you don't prototype things and know how they feel in reality, you can lead to some really bad UX if you're just going, oh, it seems right. And then you go to use it and realize after all the devs have done all their work that, nope, this is actually horrible. Um, so I guess that's my my two cents. I have a question. It looked like Framer also had watch support. Is that true? Yeah. That's nice. All right, sorry, Nick. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was I was just curious. I listen to other podcasts sometimes, and what? a lot of them talk. You're not allowed. Oh sorry. my gosh. <laughs> uh, a lot of them talk about um, doing more professional work on an iPad, um, and I was wondering, as a designer uh, and as someone who has an iPad Pro, do you see a trend with that? Do you think that you can get more work done on it? Do you prefer doing some work on an iPad? And are there any good tools? That is a tricky one. Um, I could see if you're an illustrator um, doing work on an iPad for sure. There are some really great, um, great tools for uh, drawing. And obviously with the pencil, um, you know, it's a really great, great tool if you're illustrating. Um, And sometimes even just sketching out rough ideas. um, It's nice to, I'm kind of, I kind of like to step away from the computer sometimes and sketch out a UI on paper. Um, And obviously now with the iPad Pro, I can do that um, really easily. Um, Adobe has some apps that you can use. And there's actually, um, I think it's called Comp. It's kind of a cool app in that you can, you go in and you create like a page. But then when you draw like a box, you have these gestures. So you draw a box and it kind of converts that into like a placeholder image or you draw like a series of lines and it converts those into paragraph text. Um, so it's okay. kind of cool because you can kind of sketch out a layout, but you're not just ending up with a sketch in the end. You're kind of getting this um, kind of like a wireframe um, out of your sketch, which is kind of cool. Um, I personally haven't found a workflow yet for an iPad Pro in my day-to-day work, but I'm not an illustrator and I generally don't sketch a lot of stuff so i I can't say that i've yet to find an app um but that isn't to say it won't happen um just it's kind of early i think in the cycle to yeah to you know with with the apps that are out there okay guys who wants to play a game who doesn't want to play a game okay Neil again doing gestures that no one can see. I don't know what that we gesture need, was. Like, 
It's on purpose that time. We need like visual closed captioning for Neil. Yeah. We do. We do. Okay. Yeah. Well, was, this was, is I a game. Yeah, I, I don't know. It looked like a California raisin. Remember that? Those guys, California raisins, look like you were dancing like one. I don't know. Um, so this is a game we'll call uh, Truthy Falsy. I shamelessly stole this from the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast where they have uh, science or fiction. So this is how the game works. You listen to other podcasts? Uh, just that one, uh, The History of Rome. Um, yeah, you're right. I do. I do. I do. Um, <laughs> you caught me. I outed myself. Okay. So here's how the game works. Um, I will ask you guys three questions. Um, two of them are truthy. One is falsy. And you have to figure out which one is the falsy. Um, we'll go in order, and you will, you can, you know, ask, you can ask to read it again or recap it. Actually, I can put them in. Um, the other big thing here is that there will be no cheating, um, because you're at your computer. You could theoretically Google these things, and that would be horrible to the game. That wouldn't be any fun. Hands up. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to read them out loud, and then we'll go in order. Okay. So number one. First use of the term bug, referring to a computer error, came from an actual bug found between points in Relay 70 in Harvard University's Mark II calculator in 1945. Number two. In 1801, Joseph Marie Jacquard completed a textile loom that could be programmed via punch cards. Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte praised the invention and paid him a state stipend and royalties for each loom sold. Number three, in 1694, Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz created the Stepped Reckoner, the first mechanical calculator that could add, subtract, multiply, and divide eight and 16-digit numbers. Okay. Uh, since you always go last, Paul, you go first. Yes, there is a falsy thing in here. Is that what, what, that, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? You need to... Pick which one. Why don't you go oh, through each man. one, recap it, and tell us your thoughts on each one. Like, what do you think? And give us your answers to what one you think is the falsy. Can I ask a question well, about, the, <clears throat> about the game? Well, yes, you can. Are all of... Is every part of the statement potentially truthy or falsy? Or no. is there, like, parts of it that might be true, parts that might be false? If there are part like the statement in general needs to stand alone at the, the end that I read it, you would say that's truthy or nope, that's falsy. Okay. So two of so these Tori's are entirely not jump up and... right. Uh, two of these Tori's are entirely not jump truthy. up and be like, haha, it was eighteen hundred instead of eighteen. Right, right. It's no little things. It's like the whole statement. It's not like yeah, exactly. It was New Year's Day. Haha, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, so truthy, falsy. Uh, yeah, the bug that was a moth back in the day, if I remember correctly, that got stuck and uh, had created the term bug. And so, number one, I believe, is truthy. Number two sounds reasonable, right? I mean, from all my loom experience, that <laughs> like something that's possible. <laughs> Program via punch cards. Gosh, I'm not sure on that. Um, 
I don't know. What do you think, Nick? Can no, can no, be no, no, no. Complete? You you can't oh, okay. you bad. can't you all can't right. cross. I'm giving you all sorts of gestures as, as 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 hints over here. You're oh just, man, I wasn't paying attention. You were Where's just my visual dancing. As far as I can tell, you're just dancing. <laughs> I was doing like thumbs ups and 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 I thought that was just shrugs. dancing. Shoulder shrugs. And thumbs ups. <laughs> this is how Tori dances. <laughs> that is how I dance. <laughs> Pointing at me. It's the Fonz. <laughs> hey. hey. Um. You know what? I I think number two is truthy, making number three falsy. Um, you know, I I don't know as much history as you do, Tori, following your revolutionary podcast. So, okay, so you're gonna know, go with number three. Have a sense in there. So yeah, I'm guessing number three. Okay, um, Neil, you can go next. Oh, I'm supposed to guess. Same one. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that sounds right. You're going to go with the same one? Yeah. Okay. I was trying to throw him off by doing the thumbs up on the second one. Gotcha. Okay. Nick, why don't you go through them again? Do you give us your thoughts? Okay. So, yeah, I've heard stories of, of the bug, the, the moth found in a computer, but I wasn't sure, you know, if it's, if it's the Relay 70 in Harvard University Mark II calculator or if it was some other one, so I, I, that was what I was confused on. Yeah, no, it would have. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like change it to relay sixty nine or something. You know. Like okay. That's... Okay. So I'm gonna go with Truthy for that one. Um, Eighteen oh one. I feel like I've heard of this. It seems a little suspect that they would have punch cards then, but I guess my uncle goes on and on about his punch card days, and that was probably eighteen oh one. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll say Truthy. <laughs> Well, they um, had like clear pianos back, back in the day, day right? So yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah, they had those they had those things from Hugo that that moved the automaton. <laughs> the little yeah. cylinders with the little nubs on them. In uh, what's that Wild Wild West or whatever with Will Smith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whole... yeah. That's based on history. well, that's yeah, that's yeah. historical fact. So, <laughs> and I feel like number three could be truthy, but I don't believe that it would. Uh, that they would have one for eight and 16 digit numbers. So <laughs> I'm not going to break the mold and I'm going to say that number three is the falsy one. Okay. So it is, everyone's going with number three. Okay. Well, I will take these. Let's see. Since you've all um, chosen number three, I'll start with number two. So in 1801, Joseph Marie Jacquard completed a textile loom that could be programmed via punch cards. Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte praised the invention and paid him a state stipend and royalties for each loom sold. This one is the truthy or is truthy. Um, So when Jacquard's parents passed away, I'm probably getting that horribly wrong because I don't know French pronunciations at all. Um, Parents passed away. He inherited their weaving business. Um, and it was actually really difficult to make money in weaving because the amount of time it would take to weave the intricate patterns. Um, and what they would do is at that time, they had someone called a draw boy and they sat inside the loom and uh, like a master weaver would direct them on what threads to move or lift. Um, and then once they were all moved into place, they the shut, they would pull the shuttle across and uh, it would uh it would pull a thread through, and so it would show only where uh, you wanted it to show, the color. Um, 
So Jacquard's Lou uh, replaced the draw boy with a system that utilized hooks and thick punch cards. Um, so the hooks and the needles were guided by the uh, punch cards so that when the hook came into contact with the punch card, it would stop unless it found one of the holes in which it would go through. Um, and so this basically um, kind of revolutionized the, and it was based off an earlier system that someone else had been trying to come up with. And he, uh, you know, made this possible because he, um, it, it kind of revolutionized things and it also made it so that now instead of having to have master weavers at every station, you could just create these, uh, like a, it's a rolling system of punch cards that are all kind of connected. And so as you go, you roll to the next one, roll to the next one. And now you can repeat the same pattern over and over again. You don't need a draw boy. You don't need the master, um, you know, weaver there um, to, to oversee everything. Um, but because this was 1801, and as you know, I just listened to a podcast on the French Revolution, um, I should mention that Jacquard actually started his work in 1793, but was interrupted by his need to join the Republican cause to overthrow the monarchy. Um, so when he finally got back to it, he finished it and was promptly awarded absolutely nothing except for congratulations because his town declared it public property and it was now theirs, their invention, not his. Um, Later, though, Napoleon did actually come and visit and saw it. Um, he earned a medal for this and then eventually was given um, royalties for each loom that was sold and put into service. So, And also given a government uh, kind of like a payout every year. Um, so that's pretty cool. Okay, so now we will go on to number three. Um, in 1694, Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz... Libniz, I don't know how to pronounce that, created the Stepped Reckoner, which, by the way, is the coolest name ever. Um, the first mechanical calculator that could add, subtract, multiply, and divide eight and 16 digit numbers. Um, you guys all think this one is the falsy. This one is the truthy. This one's oh. true. Um, yeah, so. This is why I go last. It, I led you all into the hole. It was actually a really cool machine. Um, there have been many different, um, before this, mechanical adding machines and subtracting machines. Um, this one used a, a series of dials and um, spinning drums, kind of what, what uh, Neil was saying a few minutes ago. Um, and this would allow you to set the dials to what you wanted to do. So adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing. Um, and then you set your input numbers. And then you crank this handle. And it turns. And then there's a little spot where it shows you what the outcome is based on these rotors turning and I don't know it's complicated um, but yeah you could also multiply and divide which other ones could not do um, and you could do things like eight digit numbers 16 digit numbers um, you could you could do just all kinds of stuff that you could not do before of course the only problem they had was that the machining available in 1694 was not as great um, and so there were actually lots of problems with it because you needed really precise, uh, you know, drum rotors and those things. And if you're not exact, then it's going to jam. Um, so that did suck. Which leads us to, you could almost call that a bug. So everyone thought this one was true. And this one, of course, is the falsy. Uh, first use of the term bug, referring to computer error, came from an actual bug found between points in Relay 70 and Harvard University's Mark II calculator in 1945. So, this one is false, as I said. Um, but the story is true. The story is true. So, the story goes like this. 
Yeah. <laughs> seems like a trick. It was actually 1944, huh? Yeah. It was actually two years earlier in 1945. Yeah. Well, so here's, the, here's how the story is generally told. Um, on September 9th, 1945, our Harvard technician team, or, I'm sorry, a Harvard technical team looked at panel F and found something unusual between points in relay 70. It was a moth, which they promptly removed and taped in the logbook. Grace Hopper added the caption of bug being found. I'm sorry, added a caption of a bug being found. Um, and that's the first time anyone used the word bug to describe a computer glitch. Naturally, the term debugging followed. Um, however, that is not true. Um, well, no, that is true. That happened. Um, but the term itself was actually coined years before by Thomas Edison, who um, began using the term to describe a flaw in design or operation of a technical system. Um, and this, over time, gained a more widespread um, kind of acceptance and term. It just became part of the terminology because people were writing articles about him and noting that he was staying up late working out a bug in something and that sometimes he would joke that he was referring to maybe a physical actual bug crawled into something and is destroying his work um, and things like that. So that's where that term actually came from. But the apocryphal story of a moth being the reasoning of that term uh, still persists. So good oh, job. So it was Thomas it was Thomas Edison's Mark II calculator that had mm -hmm. the bug. Yeah, with the with the bad rotors mm. in right. Napoleon's France. Yep. And thus was the first buffer overflow. Yep, that was the first <laughs> buffer overflow. Well, thanks for playing, guys. That was fun. Oh, we just just as a, a side note, I added to the show notes a link to a video. Um, the Stepped Reckoner actually reminded me of a video that I saw just a few weeks ago, and I had to go look it up to make sure that the video wasn't of some kind of stepped reckoner, which it wasn't. Uh, but it is a mechanical calculator from the 1950s and they're dividing by zero on it and it just goes crazy. I just so, thought, I thought good. stepped reckoner sounded too cool to be something old. Yeah, me too. Yeah. That's why I went with it. Cause I'm just like, that is way too awesome of a name. Like how awesome is stepped reckoner? It's pretty awesome. Okay. Well, yeah, that sounds like some sort of one of those things. And don't they have one of those things in Minecraft, Nick? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Halo. Like, it seems like a Halo weapon. I just, or a Destiny, I guess, is the, the thing now. With, or Radiohead song. It. Not that I recommend anybody ever look at YouTube comments, but a funny one on this one is, who knew that the secret to perpetual motion was just dividing by zero? <laughs> I almost had to bleep you. I wasn't sure where this was going to go. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Let's move on to our bug of the week. Um, Neil, I think that's you're taking this one away. Do I get to start? So, okay. So uh, we've been another support thing. A lot of the stuff that I run into is from support. Um, we had someone come to come to us and say we have this really weird problem, and it only happens in Firefox. And what happens is that when you view the second, uh, if you go to this tab and then you click something when the tab reloads, uh, and you then you click on a text field the caret disappears. It's like the text input caret disappears. It stops blinking, just disappears altogether. Uh, text entry still works, uh, which is what was really weird about the whole thing. Uh, and they just didn't know what was happening. And, uh, and we spent a lot of time looking at like source code for Firefox and like how they do the caret stuff and 
thinking that like maybe it was related to there being too many text fields on the screen or too many different layers of text fields. Um, and I don't know. Uh, for some reason, I just started grasping at straws, uh, which is kind of the best way to debug something. As we all do. Yep. Um, and I was like, well, this, it seems like it's happening on, on focus. So I was like, well, what happens, like where in the code is, is the code that handles that event? Uh, and so I went into the code and kind of just like deleted the, the bit that had the event handling stuff. Uh, and the, it didn't happen anymore. So I I kind of got on the right track about how we needed to fix it, and then I spent the next three hours um, isolating down to just the one specific thing that was a problem, uh, and ended up discovering that I could create a an easy to duplicate uh, test where if you called stop propagation on a focus event on a on a text area that the cursor wouldn't show up, which is just baffling. Like, it's it wasn't even a prevent default, right? Like, prevent default, you'd think, like, oh, okay. It makes sense that that would provide some really weird behavior, but it was just stop propagation. So, I mean, that th that's the main bug. Uh, the reason that it was happening uh, only in, well, the reason that it was happening uh, at all, um, that stop propagation never should have been called in their code. Because, uh, I mean, it doesn't make sense, obviously, why would you call start propagation on a focus event? Um, but what they did is they had some, they had some code that basically was, uh, they had some problems with, like, event bouncing kind of stuff uh, in, in other related events that were dealt with by the same uh, event handler. And what those would do is the first time they would run, they would just do what they were expected to do. And the second time they would run, uh, there would be a flag set and it would say, if it's run the second time, start propagation, prevent default. Uh, and what, it, what was happening is that they had uh, the initialization code in their widget that set up all the events was getting called twice when the tab was reloaded. So they, they weren't tearing down the old events from the old content. So it was being, uh, the events were getting set twice. So that event was getting called twice every time they clicked on the focus event. So uh, the the bug is still outstanding, but we were able to fix it by just figuring out that uh, they just need to detach the old event handlers before they add the new ones. That is crazy. It's just, yeah. Why the carrot disappears, I don't know. It's just, it's really, really odd. Yeah, Firefox. that one's, those, those ones are always just so difficult to debug. Um, just because like, I, you know, okay, great. The logic issue of running it twice or whatever, like, okay. But even though that's, that's not even like the issue, right? It's just so odd that something like that even happens that, yeah, like it just becomes <laughs> like you, after how many hours do you think someone finally just threw up their hands that I don't get what is going yeah. on here. And then you took it over for how many hours and we're like, what the heck? So odd. So odd. <laughs> But what's neat is, I mean, it, it fixes a bug, right? Like those event handlers shouldn't have been getting called twice. So it's yeah. kind of interesting that that we ended up kind of fixing a larger block of code. Uh, and yeah, I mean, figuring out why that was happening was was pretty difficult to do as well. 
fun. And then, um, do we have another bug of the week here? I think Nick's got one. We do. Yes. Um, so I've been playing with web components, um, for a while now, uh, working on, uh, some client work and, and playing around with them specifically custom elements, uh, that part of web components so that you can create your own, um, cool dash Tori element and, and use that anywhere. And you can do that anyway. You can just create elements in HTML, uh, but you, you can actually add your own properties and methods to them as well. And that's what the, the, um, custom elements part is letting you, um, specify you, you can call document.register element and create those elements they'll have their own you set the prototype for them and then uh, when they're created they'll have the properties and everything that you would expect on them and that for the most part works uh, right now it's only available in Chrome uh, and not any other browser I don't think that might have changed recently but I think it's only Chrome uh, but it's pretty easy to polyfill and there are several polyfills out there including web components and document register element and um, we ran into an interesting bug with this where um, when you create a component that has nested children inside of it, um, the parent might want to interact with properties and methods on the child components within them. So you would expect the, com the web component children to be upgraded to custom elements uh, by the time the life cycle of the parent runs so that you can access all of those properties. And... Uh, for the most part, that works fine unless you're setting inner HTML. Like if I create a div and I set the divs inner HTML to include custom elements that include nested custom elements, the uh, life cycles will run out of order. So you'll try and access properties uh, and methods on your children uh, from the parents' uh, life cycle and they just won't exist. Uh, so it's really interesting trying to work around that right now. Um, there's no real, it's not a problem with any of the the um, polyfills or anything. It's a problem in in the implementation, it seems, right now. Uh, and there are some workarounds to fix that. Um, what we're trying to do right now is uh, work around it completely by either not relying on those methods and properties being available during the startup of a parent, or if the parent really does need access to them, uh, we're looking at making the um, child components emit an event when they're initialized so that we know that they have. And then from the parents, figuring out uh, exactly which elements uh, we need to wait for to be upgraded. And then uh, listening for that event listener. And then once all of the children are uh, have reported in that they have, have been upgraded, then continuing uh, in like a promise callback. So it's really weird. It only happens when you set inner HTML, uh, but it's driving us crazy. So wait, wait. So walk me through this. When you have like, uh, you have like a top level parent element, and then you have children elements. The children are supposed to be created first. They're supposed to be built and then handed off to the parent. And it builds from from leaves to to trunk, basically. You know, uh, outward in. But in this case, if you have an inner HTML in one of the children. When does that get built? It does it wait until after? When does that happen? Apparently, never. The <laughs> never is the happen? answer. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, it, it it's really strange. The if you create a, a custom element, or if you clone, like if you call clone node on one of those elements, it kind of has the same problem. Unless you call 
you set inner HTML back to itself, then it will reinitialize those and reupgrade them. Um, but the when you're just setting inner HTML on like a div and passing in custom elements that might be nested in there, uh, there's no no guarantee on what what um, order they'll initialize in. So the parent will the parent's lifecycle will commence, and the children are just element. They're just HTML elements. They have no properties, no uh, no custom properties or methods on them. And so we run into issues where uh, we're trying to load them in backbone views, and uh, the backbone views are just basically doing inner HTML. So it's just completely blowing up on that. Um, so we we have gotten around it by they still have the the normal properties and methods that HTML elements have, like add event listener and those. So we can set up event listeners directly on them, but we couldn't use a custom method like uh, we created a, an on method, for example, that allows us to do um, event delegation when we set that up. We can't do something like that. That's so weird. You would think a life cycle would be something fundamental that they would have set and, and working already. And it's weird because, I mean, the only thing we have to go by is Chrome, really. I mean, we have the polyfills too, but they're kind of uh, mimicking Chrome. And, and, you know, Chrome is hopefully implementing the spec correctly. Um, but there's also um, Polymer. And Polymer, I believe, does actually enforce the lifecycle correctly. So that's something to look at too is to uh, – we're, we're going to dig into that maybe a little bit and just see what they're doing to enforce that. Um, but short of – of doing the the solution that we came up with, with uh, looking, w with having the children emit an event and the parent listening for all of those events and knowing exactly how many children it should have and all of that. Um, the only other solution that we can really think of is traversing the parent traversing uh, its DOM, looking for all custom elements and then setting up listeners for them uh, and waiting, which um, feels like it would be a performance hit. Doing that DOM traversal all the time. You know, virtual DOM can do it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Good point. Yeah, that's, that's why, cool. This that's is why so I weird. design stuff. Um, <laughs> well, Paul, here's your chance to tell us about the struggle being real since everyone <laughs> else has got a chance now. Well, I, you know, I, I've been working with um, TypeScript a lot, Tori, and, uh, you know, it, it's it's been interesting um, picking it up and and trying to make it do what I really expect it to do. And so um, we we write a lot of ES6 based code here, and um, in doing so, when we do it with TypeScript, we want to create typings and and write stuff that's going to not only work in ES6, but then transpile down to ES5. And um, for the most part, that's been pretty easy, but at the same time, there's been a lot of like bumps in the road uh, as far as things that happen that you don't really expect to happen. And, uh, and, and you know, there's a lot still that's that's changing a little bit that that we hope in the future is going to get nailed down. But uh, I think last time I talked about um, arguments when when you're transpiling a function and you get arguments object, um, if you actually have to go through arguments anymore and, instead of using rest, um, it, if you're transpiling it down from ES6 to ES5, you'll get errors saying that your arguments doesn't have an iterator. And you know, while it's true, 
and it it warns you and it ends up working correctly it it's super annoying that that these things still happen like if you're writing um if you're writing correct es6 code and you have a transpiler that's supposed to work with that you know as, as a developer i almost expect a development environment that would would translate that to its targets that it promises to translate it to you know it'd, it'd be kind of like uh, you're designing or you're drawing something and you're like, okay, this is going to be a bitmap or a PNG or something. And then you try to like convert it to another graphic format. It's like, oh, dude, yeah, you use the wrong color space. So yeah, we're going to throw errors. I don't know if that's a thing, Tori. It probably is, right? That that yeah. that really didn't make a whole lot of sense. But I'm just going to let you go with it anyway. <laughs> no, that, that makes sense. It makes sense to us as developers, right, guys? No, I'm saying like the color and, space does make yeah. like I've I've had problems with that. I've had things are not magenta. <laughs> yeah, things are not magenta error. I that's a that's a error, I'm, actually. I'm sure Tori's had error. stuff come out magenta. Right. On purpose. Right. Ooh, that's CMY on purpose. K not R G B A. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. So <laughs> I'm just gonna let you keep talking. <laughs> this is <laughs> and this is why I don't design things. <laughs> we seem to have a segment where where Paul tries to use uh, graphic design analogies. <laughs> I want that to be a whole podcast, actually. Yeah. I just want to do like a designer podcast using terminology I've heard but have no idea how to use. That's what I do every um, single time here, guys, with <laughs> development terminology. So we're good. Don't <laughs> don't pull the curtain back, Tori. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of you know throw this out there that um, things are still kind of interesting and down emitting to ES5 um, has some tricks to it and kind of some of the solutions that we found or that, that I've found at least are either you, you forsake um, transpiling ES6 to ES5 almost entirely and you focus like on an ES5 basis where you, you use shims for everything. So instead of using language syntax for something like for of, you might use a a function that that does for of for you, and actually searches say, oh, is there a symbol here named iterator, and and basically shims everything out, which is which is actually the tack that that Dojo Chorus is starting to take is providing a solution here, um, and then aside from that, the only other solutions I found in in TypeScript for dealing with ES6 to ES5 in in a holistic approach are to um, transpile TypeScript from ES6 to ES6 and then use Babel and CoreJS to to transpile it down to ES5. Wait, did you say or compile ES6 to ES6? Yeah. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it has you know, a color space thing here so somewhere. <laughs> it's the, so, you, so if your color alpha space is not right, you have First, you have to make that that wobbly line. You know, normally it's a, a horizontal line, and you got to adjust the color space so it's a wobbly line. The Bezier curve. See, now you're the, talking. Now you're now you got something. And then, yeah, you need a double Bezier curve when you use your <laughs> Lorentz transformation. Um, <laughs> Tori's just like trying to hold it in. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, ES6, ES6 for TypeScript. That that essentially does your type compilation. So it ensures that your typing is correct. Okay, it's kind of just verifying. 
Yeah, and, and so one of the, again, one of the issues in TypeScript is when you're in ES6, you have things like symbols available to you that you don't have in, if you're in ES5. But if, you're, if your target platform has symbols available or transpiles it in some way, it gets really awkward to use the symbol, um, the symbol type in ES6 because it's not going to transpile down to ES5. If your target is ES5, TypeScript's going to throw a fit. Um, and of course, because it's TypeScript, it's going to do its best, but you're going to see a lot of errors that are going to hide actual real errors you know, from you. And so, yeah, ES6 to ES6 tries to avoid that and allows you to use uh, Babel and CoreJS to polyfill what you need the rest of the way. And then the last attack is to just use any anytime you're going to use anything like symbols or or anything that you um, would not expect uh, to to have in your in your ES5 um, ES5 target. So like those were the three workarounds that I found, and none of them are are absolutely pleasing. Um, I think I think we're pushing for I believe Kit's pushing for having hooks into uh, the compiler to help with some of that. But it's it's been a real interesting ride. And I just I was wondering, have you guys experienced any of this yourselves? And are are there better workarounds um, if you're if you're working with TypeScript and you have to create something in both ES6 and transpile it down to ES5? I have a little bit. <laughs> you, you, so if you want to transpile it to ES5, then what you're saying is you have to pick the things that you know are going to be there and not use anything else. So don't use four of, don't use um, other things. Like I will TypeScript can transpile if I use like rest and spread. Well, does it do the transpilation on that or is that? It does. It's just, it's it's arguments is one of the big ones because the arguments object is is typed to ir or i arguments or something like that, and because symbol doesn't exist in ES five, the iargs type i arguments type doesn't exist in ES five, and so right it throws a fit again. I think if you use rest or spread or even for of, it does transpile correctly and it does so without a fit. It's just for some types like arguments or if you're going to write your own custom object with an iterator, you're going to have, you're, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like one of the benefits of <laughs> it, it's, it just seems weird to have a transpiler that you have to use for the typing information, but then not be able to use a lot of the cool features if you, because they won't exist in the, the target that you, you go for. So if it like, to me personally, that seems like, like an approach that I, I wouldn't want to take. I would rather do the ES6 to ES6 and then use Babel and CoreJS to to polyfill in what I need and, and transpile it from there. Um, but I don't know. I have not researched any performance implications from that. I assume there's not much because people do do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that seems like like, like it's, it's weird to to draw a line in the sand and say, these are the things that we can use. And, and you can't go beyond that because these are the things that TypeScript will correctly transpile for us. These things they will not. So we can't use those um, if we want to go back to ES5. But I, I assume, so maybe I'm making a, a, the wrong assumption, but if I have my targets at ES5, um, I can use things like the class keyword and, and create classes like that, right? It'll properly transpile that to functions and prototypes. 
Yes. Yeah, it'll do the transpilation for a lot of things. It's just you have to know these key areas where it doesn't do it. And now TypeScript 2.0 and 2.1, they're going to come down, come out with conditional compilation of things. And so you can say these typings exist when you're in this context or it'll do um, like uh, type checking. Like it'll, it'll be able to do has checks on your targets and say, okay, symbol exists even though it's, it's Chrome or even, or we're transpiling. So we're also going to include these other things. And, and those, so there are future features on the roadmap that may start to resolve this. And so definitely 2.0 and 2.1 will make things better. It's just right now it, it feels a lot like developing for an IE browser. You know, you have to know what's going to be available on all platforms. And so this is your lowest common denominator. And as a transpiler, like, like I don't like the features that you have to know what is not going to be available. And I don't like, right. I don't like environments that do the other side of things. Like Babel has a lot of plugins that do crazy things. Like you can, you were talking about spreading an object at some point yep. in one of our previous broadcasts. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's really bad because, you know, as you're, when you have a development environment, you expect a certain development paradigm. And so you can say this is ES6 or ES5 and then use functions to fill in the rest of the functionality rather than having uh, magic stuff that happens that's outside the spec of the language syntax. It's in the spec. It's like stage one, I think. Maybe stage zero. I don't know. It's been pushed back. Does it have stage a Stage none. No, I don't. I'm just making a joke. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and and I agree with you, you Paul. Like it's it, it's frustrating to have to know what you can support and what not. And if like I would like to be able to use anything that I possibly can, so that would be anything anything that can be transpiled back to ES5. I would want to do whatever I can to do to to make that happen. But things like symbols and uh, symbols and proxy. Like, you can't polyfill those, so you just you just have to make the decision that you will not use those if you need to support browsers that don't don't have those, right? Kind of. Simple has uh, partial polyfills. Like you can use a string instead of a a symbol as a native type. Yeah, didn't you and, read and his so article? The symbol factory. <laughs> oh yeah, it's in the article. <laughs> but but basically, if you polyfill that, then you know. The iterator is fine because it's it's almost new functionality. With a transpiler, you should be able to iterate over a sim a built a built-in symbol that's assigned to symbol dot um, iterator, and some of the others like it, it, you should be able to override the regular expressions stuff as well. And it's just strings that end up on as your well-known symbol um, that happens to be there. And so there's the small small chance of collisions. And some of the other stuff isn't going to be there, but a lot of the core stuff will be. Now, now what won't be there is like your your two primitives and your things that interact with like language level syntax, although they could possibly be there as well if TypeScript wanted to, to check to see if it's an object and, and wrap it in a function whenever you had an object cast to a primitive, it could also do that. You know, it would just automatically wrap it as you would as a developer anyway say like you would you know as a developer if i had like a month object and i wanted to be able to convert it to a number or a string um you know i could just 
wrap that month object in a factory that says take this month and convert it to a string or I could put a you know I could put a function on the class the month class and just call that directly you know TypeScript could do the same thing and say oh in this context they're going to want to have you know it's going to expect a string or it's going to expect a number to do this calculation or this concatenation you know so th that's why something like um, hooks into the the transpiler would be a very nice thing because the development environment could fill the rest of that out and say, use this shim or use this polyfill because sometimes polyfills suck or sometimes browsers crap out and mess up polyfills. So it'd be nice to have the ability of, of linking to that kind of like Babel does without um, needing, with also, with also having types available as well. So I, I don't know. It just, yeah. So symbols, they're, they're mostly, uh, they're mostly polyfillable for the, the newish stuff, and they're they're more polyfillable when you add in a transpiler, especially if that you can hook into that in some way, probably. Way to be definitive there. Definitely, probably. Definitely. You want to you want to hear some more design stuff, Dory? I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to hear that. <laughs> I, I would say the things that that still frustrate me about TypeScript uh, aren't, are not this, uh, but it goes back to something that we have talked about before and it's ambient type declarations. And there's so many bad ones out there. <laughs> and it's so frustrating when you just want to make something work, but you get a million uh, compile errors because the, the types file that you're bringing in for some JavaScript library is just totally broken. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I totally agree with that. And, it, and in, in the defense of all the, the terrible ambient declarations out there, it's really hard to write ambient declarations. Sure. Uh, I, I know. It's, it's, you know it, it's not an easy problem to solve, but it's a problem. that I just want to get this thing done, and I either live with the compiler uh, spitting out all of this stuff that I don't care about, or I take the time to fix it, and then I get frustrated and close my laptop. Yeah, and yeah. Then you take a drive in your Honda Pilot. Yep. Yep. Okay, well, I think we could leave it there. Um, that'll do it because we are over time now. But thank you guys for, for joining us this week. Thank everyone for listening. And, um, you know, I swept you guys in Truthy Falsy, the first <laughs> one. So look forward to so the next tricks. episode where I will attempt to go 2-0. If you guys didn't all pick Next the same episode, answer. Just everybody pick a different one. Yeah, you, you one. should probably do that. Maybe yeah, I'll add four, add four yeah. questions then. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks. Yep, thanks. I was rolling down the window Cause I like to feel the wind blow We got a good thing Gonna see where the day goes Take it fast, take it real slow We got a good